let's enter into a space of, again, hearing God's word through his scriptures. We will be in Exodus chapter 7 briefly. Uh, you know, that's part of the reason that I'm preaching on the theme of being an image bearers of, of God. Uh, but let's pray. Father, we thank you for all of these things. All that was said in announcement of opportunities to serve, to give, to participate. And this is the church. This is your church at work to see those in need, maybe in our immediate need, our friends, our neighbors, and even beyond us, even those we will never know the name of, and to, to pray for them, for our heart to reach to them, to give to them, for those in Saldana, South Africa, through the Dalton's ministry, people we will likely never meet this side of eternity. As we continue in, we look forward to making those connections through eternity of how our heart, your heart, through us, reached into these places. Would you continue to grow and expand our heart in that way? So thank you for all that was shared. And that's just a part of the work you're doing through your church. Be glorified in that. Continue to speak in a way that would open our eyes to new opportunities to love and pursue others as we love and pursue you. Thank you for this body that you've sustained and are growing and are inviting us to grow, to not remain where we are, to walk with you in the coming season. And that's what we want to do right now. And part of that is hearing your voice and being faithful to respond to your call, to your invitation, to your rebuke when it comes with conviction. But you give us the grace and the mercy that we need to enter in to that journey, that relationship, to be disciples and followers of you, Jesus. We pray all of this in your name, the speaking God. Amen. Exodus chapter 7, we're journeying somewhat slowly. We'll, we'll pick up the pace here pretty quick. We'll, I may only preach one message on the plagues rather than going one week at a time through each one. I felt like that's not sustainable to my heart and soul. Uh, we'll see how much we get into that. But we'll, so we will pick up the pace as we go through uh, some of the story. But a lot of this has been found foundational. But that's not exactly where I want to begin. I want to begin with this idea. How can we be more like God? Godly. Isn't, isn't that one of the main reasons we'll come and sit through a message like this one, a sermon, or watch it later on video, or tune into a podcast, or attend a life group and commune with others, uh, to read our scriptures, for those of you that read regularly, or go through devotionals, or work on spiritual practices, isn't that one of, if not the primary reason, to become more God-like, godly? It's an invitation, it's a call, it's a high challenge, but what, what does it look like? What does God look like? What ways could we never become like him? He's God after all, and we're not. And what ways are we meant to be like him? Those are big questions. Questions for a lifetime, really, not just a single sermon or message. Questions that theologians have devoted themselves to and debated over millennia. It's why we have a really thick book with really thin pages and really tiny font. And these are just some of the people throughout the ages who have tried to express a knowledge of and understanding of God and his story and an invitation to be godly ourselves. Perhaps God can be seen. How do you see God? Perhaps God can be seen 
on a clear night apart from the lights of the city, looking up into the heavens, seeing the millions of stars, even visibly seeing the, the Milky Way, recognizing that to make that kind of an image even to our naked eye, it requires billions of points of light coming together, and that's just the closest of the known galaxies of our world. Perhaps you get a glimpse of God standing by the side of the ocean right after a storm or in the midst of one. Perhaps you see God, or the scientists do, by looking into an electron microscope. Many have proclaimed, how could there, how could there not be a God, a designer of this infinitesimal but perfectly functioning details that we can't even see with our, our naked eye? And all of these, and maybe, maybe they are all but a glimpse, a glimpse of God, but a way to see. You have your own, I'm sure, into nature, into his creation, perhaps. And more remarkably, our kids in the back, as they hold up that mirror to their face, are actually getting a glimpse of God more powerful than the stars and the ocean and the electrons. Because we like our children, are created in the image of God. No, we don't always act godly, but we are always image bearers. From the very beginning of the story, this is what's been proclaimed. Genesis 1, verse 26 through 27, God said, let us make humankind in our image according to our likeness. And for those of that have heard that statement, that promise, that phrase, or read it many times, please let it sink in with more power. Hear it with new ears. God said, the God who had just spoken the earth into existence, let us, so there's a unity, there's a, we believe the triune God is now speaking, let us make humankind in our image, in our likeness. He made humans that way. And then let them have dominion over the fish of the sea, the birds of the air, the cattle, over all the wild animals of the earth, over every creeping thing that creeps upon the earth. There's some poetry here that's a little bit lost, but it is a beautiful phrase and promise. So God created humankind in his image, verse 27, in the image of God. In Latin, that's imago Dei, imago Dei. In the image of God, he created them, male and female, all humankind, he created them in his image. We should be able to see a glimpse of what God looks like when we look in that little mirror that's a little distorted. Every one of us, and if we had a billion mirrors, eight billion mirrors, every unique face, none the same, reflecting a glimpse of God. We are image bearers. And all of these still fall short, and yet they are meant to be reflections. We are meant to be reflections, representing God. It's his intention. We don't always act godly, but we are his image bearers. And where we long to see a more perfect reflection, we have none other to turn to than Jesus himself. Here's what the author of Hebrews says. Hebrews chapter 1, verse 3, Jesus is the radiance of God's glory and the exact representation of his being, 
That same word, though, is used in Greek, is described later in Exodus when Moses meets with God on the mount and comes down radiant, radiating, visibly to the people. Jesus is the radiance of God's glory, his very being. No, he didn't glow, but he radiated something of God's character perfectly, according to this author, the exact representation of his being. This is what we long for. You want to know what God is like? We look to none other but Jesus. It's not just that Jesus was God-like, it's that God is Jesus-like. That's incredible. And we, therefore, can relate to the Creator God in that way and through Jesus. And we're invited, we know, to be more godly, to be more Christ-like in character and nature. That's what it means to reflect Him with less and less distortion. And ultimately, that's not about greater effort and greater work. I need to do this more and stop doing this, though that might be true. There might be those things and those convictions that come. But the last thing I would ever want as a preacher of God's Word is to walk out saying, I got I to gotta double down this week. Man, I've been messing it up. I got to work harder. That's religion. That's earning favor or holiness in your own strength. That's antithetical to the good news. The good news is by drawing near to God, as we are invited to, through Jesus, because he perfectly images God. We don't. But by drawing near because of what he has done, we have that film removed. We then just bear his image through his spirit more fully. He may then convict us that with his strength and help, he's inviting us to walk in a new way, in a new light. The old is gone, the new has come. Amen to that. Come and yield, come and surrender, come and draw near. That's what we are invited to. What does all this have to do with Exodus? I asked you to open to Exodus 7, and I've mentioned a couple parts of Exodus. All of this was inspired by this startling phrase at the beginning of Exodus chapter 7. A significant statement, but it's, I think a startling one. Then the Lord, that's Yahweh, said to Moses, see, I have made you like God to Pharaoh. In the Hebrew, the word like is actually removed. I think it, it's an okay translation, but it actually would be more direct. See, I have made you God to Pharaoh, and your brother Aaron will be your prophet. This is a, that is a startling phrase from what we know of Moses, and I can't recount all that we know of him, but he is not the hero of the story. He will grow to be a pretty incredible leader and an incredible prophet and ultimately a priest for God's people, but he has a lot of room to grow at this point in the story. And God is saying with implication that with me through you, you will be God to Pharaoh. That's the specific. But this reinforces a meta-narrative across Scripture. Big story, right? Meta-narrative that runs throughout Scripture. That we are invited to be God's image bearers, to be like God in this world. That's, that's a humbling, that should be a humbling responsibility, invitation, call. What does it mean? What would that look like? We're beginning to discuss that. In the specific context, there is some irony at play. We said there'd be, there's irony throughout this story. I love it. As you press in, Pharaoh 
was like God in Egypt. In fact, in many ancient cultures and, and, and religions, to, to rise to that level meant God was really not only with you and blessing you, but like had bestowed divinity, or their gods, they believed in a polytheistic uh, system and structure, that their gods had bestowed something of themselves in you. And even holding that title meant you were godlike. You held life in your hands for a, for a nation. And so Pharaoh, whether he believed it or not, in his own divinity, I mean, this was the this ancient belief of the Caesar in the Roman Empire, that he was an image bearer of God. He was Lord. So when Jesus was raised by the, the, the lowly to be Lord, that was blasphemous, not just to the Jews, but to the Roman Empire. No, Caesar is Lord. Caesar is God. That was an ancient belief. It's important to understand that context, that when God says to, in his kingdom, in his economy, this lowly, outcast shepherd, you will be God of Egypt. That's an incredible statement, especially with what we know of Moses, his hesitation, his doubts, his fear, his send someone else, no, not me. Not only will Moses enter into the space with God and through God's power and sovereignty over the waters, the skies, the created things, life and death. See how this image is back and harkens back to Genesis? Moses will have this dominion. Not only will he enter into that space in kind of power and authority with God over Egypt and Pharaoh, but he will also represent God in his character of mercy to Pharaoh. We often read this story, and we have. We've entered into it in this way and said, God, why have you taken so long? God, why won't you deliver your people? This is the cry of his people. Where are you now, God? Show up, deliver. Why this suffering? Why extend this? And the only, the only good answer, and it's still tough, is his mercy is extended to all peoples. His mercy, the proclamation of who God is in Exodus 34, when he declares this to Moses up on that mountain, Yahweh passed before him and proclaimed, Yahweh, Yahweh, a God merciful and gracious. That's God's first choice of description. Merciful and gracious, slow to anger, abounding in steadfast love and faithfulness, keeping steadfast love for the thousandth generation, forgiving iniquity and transgression and sin. Not only will Moses be like God to Pharaoh in authority and power over all creation, he will be like God to Pharaoh in mercy, in slowness to execute ultimate judgment. Ten plagues, not one, ten times Pharaoh relent Relent to God Yahweh again, 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 again. And what does Pharaoh do? Hardens his heart, elevates his own name, his own divinity, will not, will not release that until in the end it leads ultimately to his suffering, the suffering of the Egyptians, and eventually to his own destruction. It's supposed to be a, an image and a picture for all who are striving to become godly and grow in faith to see his to see God's incredible, maybe scandalous mercy and grace extended to creation. Will we relent and yield and come? So that's more of a, a big picture of the story. 
the big picture of all of God's story, the meta-narrative that this reminds us to and that we see in Moses is that Moses isn't being elevated to some form of, of superhero or superhuman. Moses is becoming the true human. This is what it is supposed to look like in humility with God, authority and dominion over all creation. For the good, freedom, life, and deliverance of all people. Righteousness, justice executed. This is true humanity. Do not elevate Moses to a, a state that we, we are not ever to reach. Moses, with God, by yielding to God, becomes the true human. As Theologian and Pastor Peter Enns rightly says, Moses wasn't becoming a superhuman, but the true human, reflecting what it looks like to bear God's image and likeness, authority and rule for the good of all creation. We, too, are invited, entrusted to be stewards like this, not replacements for God, representatives, ambassadors, reflections of this God. This is what it means to be truly human, not, not superhuman. God can and does speak and work and act in this world in an infinite number of ways. He can speak through a burning bush. He can speak audibly from, from the heavens. But those are extremely rare. Where God tends and chooses to speak most is through humanity. And you can take it up with him that that was not a great plan, but it's his. We are all his children meant to be prophets, to speak, to know his voice and will, and to make it known. That's what it means to be prophetic, to make known the reality of our God, his word and his will, in humility and graciousness and love and hope to be prophets, to be priests, to lead others, to mediate others that they might know him more. This is what we are created for. This is how God wants to speak and work through his people. It's always been his way. He does not have to, which means he wants to. Pretty amazing. So why then, Peter ends, goes on to ask, do so many of us seem content to be subhuman rather than truly human? That we have abandoned or forgotten this call, this invitation to be his image bearers, representatives, reflections. Adam and Eve, this, that story shows us what happened. Ultimately, believing a lie that God isn't who he said he was, cannot be fully trusted, and therefore, turn to another way of life and fulfillment in our own terms, with our own perspective. That's what has happened. It's what always happens. It's the way that we live. It's the way that film gets over our, our image, bearing capacity, and must be and can only be by God, removed, healed, cleansed, renewed in Christ, that we might become again truly human. That path from the garden throughout history into our present day 
has led to all manner of suffering, distance from God, and therefore evil, arrogance, clinging to our own name and character, seeking to elevate it above all others rather than living according to our true nature. As Pharaoh did, hardening his heart, relentlessly pursuing and holding on to his own glory, so have ultimately all of us done. Maybe without the power position that Pharaoh attained, but in our own little kingdoms. We have followed, right? The apple has not fallen far from that tree in the garden. This theme continues throughout the scriptures, throughout the story of Exodus, learning to become a people who will bear God's name rightly, who will see renewed what was lost in the garden, that we would represent and reflect God rightly from Moses' face that actually radiates to the priests in the tabernacle who will have the name of God written on their forehead. They will bear his name to the second commandment, which is not, which is not do not take the Lord's name in vain, as in swear or curse, but literally says, You must bear the name of God rightly. It's about integrity and holiness, not hypocrisy, versus the words that come out of our mouth as if flippant words could rise to number two on the list of most important things. We must bear the image of God, the name of God, the character of God. They're really one and the same. Rightly, that's what we were made for. That's at the top of the list. This theme continues into the tabernacle when we'll see that the details of the tabernacle are all about garden and life and growth. Imaging, the garden is being restored. God's presence is coming back to his people. It has been lost. It is being renewed. This is his temple. We'll see that as we get more into the story. It's really the entire story. It's always been God's purpose that his humanity would reflect him, represent him, speak for him, image him in his character of love, mercy, grace, justice, life, freedom, and righteousness. For those that need that image again, for you kids, they're like, man, he is just droning on. Get that mirror and hold that. Now, get that. You still have some? If not, it's in your mind, I'm sure. But hold that little lightweight mirror that was It has only been made to be a mirror, to be adorned and to be decorated, to be made more beautiful, to be creative, that it's one of a kind because both your hands were on it and your mind was on it in creativity. Now imagine taking that little mirror, which doesn't have really much other function, but saying, no, no, I don't want this to be a mirror. I'm going to make this a ping pong paddle. I'm going to cover it up. That might be an... Looking at it now, looking, uh, it's, you're going to struggle. You're going to struggle with that being a ping pong paddle. But it, it, it may work, one in ten, right? If you say, no, I, it needs to be a pickleball paddle, you're probably going to lose every match you play. If you say, no, I need a hammer. I need a shovel. You get the ridiculousness of the image. And God has made us with one singular purpose, to be his image bearer and reflect him wherever we are, wherever we live, work, learn, and play. He might invite us to new places and on new journeys, but to image him. That's our purpose. That's our nature. And we've often taken this life and said, I'm going to make it a hammer. I need not reflect my God and live according to my nature. 
I'll be a shovel in this life. I'll be another kind of tool. Whether you think it's for good or for malicious intent, nonetheless, it's abandoning our nature. If you feel in your life any sense of uncertainty in purpose, in value, you feel aimless, wandering, this is it. Here it is. You've been made in the image of God to reflect him. There is nothing greater. If that doesn't sound incredible, it shows how far we've drifted into the ways of the world that's trying to recreate us in its image. No wonder you feel discouraged, wondering, doubting, anxious, unsettled, we live out of sync with our purpose of how we've been created, who we've been created to be, his image bearers. A painting, a, a sculpture, a nice ornate vase are all meant to attract attention to the object, but a mirror is meant to reflect another to image another and lean into its full nature and beauty. So God's people are rescued out of a subhuman reality and brought into a formation to be God's people, his image bearers, to all the nations of the earth, like a model that ultimately in Jesus will then open to all of creation. It was already open, but this is the picture for Israel. And they would at times lean in and believe and say yes and amen, and at other times would doubt and distrust and want to go back and reject that goodness or that promise or not want to do the work because it's hard. Can anyone relate? Huh, a, a nation of people sometimes believing in God and living faithfully and at other times completely misrepresenting him. Leaders who leave us wanting more. Understatement. Even as great as Moses became as a leader, a priest, a judge, he fell so far short. It makes us long, like any other leader of, of the scriptures, any other king, any other priest, it makes us long for another, a greater one. When we look to leaders in our world today, any, in any capacity at every level, the more we get to know them, the more we should long for a more perfect leader. Because <laughs> none of us are it. We're image bearers. We're meant to reflect the perfect one. Back to Hebrews 1.3, Jesus the radiance of God's glory, the exact representation of his being. How about John 14, 6? You might know this one. Jesus answers, I am the way and the truth and the life. No one comes to God the Father except through me. Do you know verse 7? If you really knew me, you would know my Father. So from now on, you do know him and have seen him. Even Jesus leans into that statement by the author of Hebrews that he is representing God perfectly. 
He's his image. It goes on in verse 9. Anyone who has seen me has seen the Father. Jesus is not superhuman, just as Moses wasn't. Jesus is the true human. He is the God-man, the one and only, 100%. But he, as he lived and walked on earth, is modeling what true humanity is meant to look like. Yielding to God's kingdom, his will, and his way, and representing him in justice, mercy, righteousness, love, grace, mercy, and truth. The author of Hebrews goes on to say, Hebrews 4, 15, we do not have a high priest who is unable to sympathize with our weaknesses, but we have one who has been tempted in every way, just as we are. He's fully human, yet without sin, without any marring, without any film over him. Let us then, because of Jesus, approach the throne of grace with confidence that we might receive mercy and find grace to help in time of need. Do you feel that? I pray you do. Let's respond this morning with that invitation and reminder in place. Recognizing that in much of our life, and maybe for much of it, maybe even until this moment, we've lived in a way that has relentlessly pursued our own image, our own name, even if that's not our desire, and it is to lean into our true nature, we know we often shift into that place. And we can come again with confidence to receive mercy and grace. Do it tangibly as you come and receive these elements, the body of Christ, the blood of Christ. That's a response. That's why we have the elements set here and in the back, so that to receive them requires movement, that you move and draw near. I know it's simple, it's small, but it's an act. Certainly, the power of your prayers, even your unvoiced prayers that God hears of confession, leaning to repentance, I turn from, repentance is a gift, I'm turning from this path that I know doesn't lead to life, and I'm turning back to you, Lord. That's the turn and the, and the walk. The change happens in our heart and our soul and through these prayers, absolutely, but being able to draw near physically, to draw near, to move and receive and partake and ingest says something spiritually. I want this to be reality. I want you to be my sustenance. I need your grace, your mercy, your forgiveness again. Make me your image bearer. Help me, God. Help me not try to do it in my own strength, but to daily yield to you. Let's draw near in that way. One, because this is your nature. This is how you've been created. Pray that you would see how God sees you. I don't think some of us do. You are beloved. God delights in you. He's made you exactly as you are to reflect him in a way that nobody else can. And you can't do it alone. That's why he's made billions of us. But you are delighted, lovely, lovable, See as God sees. It doesn't mean we won't come heavy at times and with repentance and grief at our own sin. Absolutely. But receive his grace and mercy and see as he sees you. 
I pray that for you, that you can receive that. Where we fall short, and we will, we do. We have a Jesus who has not fallen short. It's why we need him to save us, to heal us, to bring us back into communion with God. He invites us. We come humbly, and yet boldly, we're told, come confidently because of Jesus, because of this one and this priest. And be reminded that God loves to use the last and the least likely of all to do incredible things through. You cannot miss that on the stories of Scripture. So if you you ever feel, if you feel now, who am I? I'm too old, it's too late. I don't know enough, I'm not good enough. I can't, whatever the thing, whatever. You haven't even read the story. God loves to use the least likely ones, the most unexpected ones who come back to their true nature in humility and say, Jesus, help. Oh, he'll do great things. Not through your effort, through your yielding, through your coming, through your surrender, through your walk with him. Be reminded of his patience, his relentless, scandalous mercy, even to Pharaoh, for the good of a nation, and for his relentless pursuit of his people for 40 years, not giving up on them. He will not give up on us. But today, we have the opportunity to respond. So let's do that.